chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evils in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplates of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, James. You can keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6. That would be great. And let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you uh, for the revelation that our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the... Uh, the evil one in in the spiritual realm and lord we pray now that your word will equip us uh, to fight that battle in jesus name we pray amen i told you i wrestled uh, in high school i wasn't very good but i know the sport pretty well Um, it's uh there's only few ways to score take down when you take somebody down from this sort of standing um, position or reversal or escape or the back points and there are three only three periods in a match Um, And by the third period, uh, your strategy might change on how to win. Because if you're winning, your objective becomes um, to remain standing, right? Because if you're winning and if you don't get taken down, then you win. You just need to kill the time. But you can't just kill the time because uh, uh, the the referee can actually uh, uh, penalize you. But the sole objective sometimes becomes standing, right? Not getting taken down. In a way... That's what we are called to do in this spiritual battle. The battle has been won by Jesus Christ. He has decisively scored, quote-unquote, taking away the sting of death um, and sin on the cross, and we have been transferred from this kingdom to a new kingdom, a kingdom in him. And we are waiting for the day when Jesus will return and make that victory clear, not just to us, but to the rest of the world. And that's why the command in this passage, as Paul tells us to fight, is not just to go out and fight, but actually he says, stand. Actually, he says it four times. In verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. Verse 13, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And in verse 14, As we go to the belt, he says, stand firm. Satan loves to take us backwards, make us regress. He loves to see us confused. He loves to see us bicker with one another within the church, be stunted in our growth and stumble our way to heaven. He wishes to snatch us away and prevent people from turning to Jesus. 
And what better way to prevent people from turning to Jesus than, ma- than to make a bunch of stunted disciples, people who do not resemble our maker and creator and our savior, Jesus. To make the church be about all the petty things that we make it about rather than the kingdom of God. But we don't have to stumble. We can stand even against Satan, even against the schemes and wiles of Satan, this spiritual being, because God shares his mighty power. God shares his armor. It's his armor that we are to put on. He shares it with us that we can stand firm. And Paul was familiar with Roman soldiers. He was probably tied to one at one point, right? Um, He's imprisoned even while writing this letter, letter to Ephesians. And he builds this picture of the spiritual armor uh, around a Roman soldier. And he first tells us to put on the belt of truth. These days, belt is not so important because, uh, you know, in Hong Kong, oftentimes your suits are custom made. You don't need a belt, right? It fits you. But before the days of Industrial Revolution, people had few articles of clothing, never one made for you specifically. You needed something to tie it all together. Belt was important. It enabled you to move. If you didn't have a belt, you couldn't run. You could, you would, your, your, your clothes would fall apart. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And unlike other weapons mentioned in chapter 6, this belt of truth isn't so much a weapon, but it is indispensable because it allows you to use all the other weapons. It allows you to have them on you. It allows you to be ready to go. But then why is it that it's the belt of truth? How does truth allow all these weapons to be used by us? And something that Paul is saying that we need to live truthfully. We need to live without duplicity. We we need to live sincerely in our faith. In a similar sense, when we say God is faithful and true, he is true to his words, he does what he says. And Paul has told us previously to put on Christ. In the same way, maybe he's suggesting that we ought to be truthful. We need to put on God's truth. And I think that's right. But even if that interpretation is correct, how do we know? How do we know how to live truthfully? How do we know what the truth is? How do we know how to live truthfully? So I actually think that it's more like this. I think Paul is saying, uh, he's telling us to be ready to put on the truth. Even though the article is not there in Greek, I think he's telling us to put on God's truth the revealed word of God. And that would make sense then how the scripture would get us ready to use all these other weapons if we know God's truth. We're told, we were told in verse 11, right, that devil is a schemer. He schemes, he lies. That's how he works. The first word that's recorded in the Bible by Satan is in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Remember, it's a lie. He goes to Adam and Eve, Eve and says, did God really say you must not eat from, the, uh, from, the, from any tree in the garden? Right? God actually said you could eat from every tree in the garden except one. But he twists God's words and makes him look stingy. And in chapter 3, verse 4 of Genesis, he outright contradicts God's word. He says, he says you will not surely die even if you eat the fruit. Satan lies. And if our battle is against him, we must gird ourselves with the truth of God. 
And that's all we're told to do in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, verse 15, that famous verse about how we are to speak God's truth in love to one another. It's not just speaking truth, like being honest. Uh, That verse is about how God has founded the church upon God's word and that we are to speak that truth in love to each other to build one another up so that we can reach maturity, that we will not shake. We live in a confused world where everyone says what they have, what they feel is true. If I feel this is true, then it must be true for you. And if somebody sells, feels another way, well, that's true for you as well. That's fine. And Paul says, get ready in this spiritual battle with God's word. London preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, you must gird yourselves and your loins with the truth. If you do not, you are defeated. And I'm asserting that and maintaining the truth, uh, that truth can be known and that there is an authority. It's not a reason. It's not feeling. It's not the church, any church. It's the book called the Bible. But what, if, what happens if we don't put the Bible around, uh, to, uh, if we don't gird ourselves with the truth, with the belt of truth? It means that we'll simply then conform to the patterns of this world. Patterns not set by the the, the king of truth, right? One who tells the truth, Lord of truth, but the prince of this world, father of lies. That's what we will go with. It means that we will live in the chaos of competing sets of truth claims. What's right and wrong is not determined by God, his enduring word, but what feels right to each one of us. Friends, What areas of your life, what areas of this church you think, where truth is being eroded? And are we ready to go with God's truth when it doesn't feel right? It might not feel right. Will you submit to God who will at times contradict you? Loving our enemies doesn't feel right, does it? You don't want to love your enemies. Forgiving doesn't feel right. Not having sex until marriage, for many people, it's not the right thing to do. It doesn't feel right to me. Standing firm in God's teaching on sexuality goes against the culture. It goes against many people's feelings of what uh, what the truth is. Pursuing God's kingdom in this busy world, it doesn't feel right. Celebrating the Sabbath rest doesn't feel right when when everybody else is working around us. Friends, when's the last time when you came to God's word and said, actually, these are my marching orders. This is the truth that God has revealed to me and I must submit to it. I must live by it. Word of God is the authority that gives clarity and direction to our lives in a world, in a world that doesn't believe in the truth when everybody says what they know is true. So Paul starts out saying, stand firm, buckle yourselves with the belt of truth. And then he says, put on breastplate of righteousness. As you can imagine, the breastplate was one of the most important armors, important piece of armor because it protected your vital organs, including your heart. And the heart wasn't just thought of as a center of emotions in the Bible. It's the center of reason, affection, our will. It often stands for our soul, who we are. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness is so important because righteousness protects our vital part, the heart. 
because our, our heart is attacked all the time. As Christians, we're aware of our sins, perhaps more than non-Christians out there. And at times, devil uses this sense of awareness of our sin against us. You know how that goes, don't you? He whispers, what? You've sinned again. You're not a good person. You're a hypocrite. You say that you love Jesus, but you don't walk. You don't live like him. Your life is filled with hypocrisy. How can you call yourself a Christian? In fact, you're probably not a Christian. This is his, the way that he operates. Because his name, Satan, right, Satan, is literally accuser. It's prosecutor. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, Paul says. Now, what does that mean? Is Paul asking us once again to live righteously? Or is he... Uh, are, we say, are we to remind ourselves that Christ's righteousness has been put on us already through, the, through our faith? On the one hand, we know very keenly the danger of hypocrisy. When we sin, and sin often, we can easily feel overwhelmed by Satan's attacks because we're giving Satan that foothold, as we talked about last week, that space to accuse so it's right to strive to be like Christ and not sin. But at the same time, I want to say we can't just rely on our righteousness, can we? None of us can. In a courtroom, I imagine it's very important. Um, uh, it matters tremendously who the prosecutor is. I've seen enough courtroom drama to know that actually in the hands of an expert prosecutor, even a person who's lived a saintly life, their lives can be made to look like it was a terrible life. And Satan is an expert prosecutor. This fallen angel specializes in finding every little fault in our character, this little chink in our armor. And if the breastplate that we put on ourselves each day is our own righteousness only, then Satan will have a field day with you. And it's not just Satan. We know that it's not, it's not enough. Our righteousness is not enough because we know from experience that if we grow to be more and more like Jesus, we will paradoxically become more and more aware of our sins. A proud person doesn't often feel proud. But a humble person feels proud all the time. And when often uh, when we feel humble, that's probably when the danger of being proud comes. The more righteous one becomes, we feel each blow of our sins more keenly. So it's right to be, to strive to be righteous like Jesus. But we must remind ourselves that our righteousness has been given freely by the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is ours. And the Holy Spirit is getting us there each day, prompting us. And when the attacks of the enemy comes, when, whether it's an accusation of a small sin that we've committed or a big one, remind yourself that you have Christ's righteousness already, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, what we are to say to ourselves really is that, you know what, 
even if I do not sin today, even if I, my besetting sins, I don't do this for a week or for a month or even a year or whatever it is, that will not be my breastplate of righteousness. Because that, is, that does not make me acceptable before God and that does not make me unaccusable before Satan. That Jesus is our righteousness, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. Jesus in him is our new self and that is me, truly. And that's the only thing that will leave us be able to stand each day. So belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. And then Paul tells us to put on our shoes, readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Yeah. In wrestling, you really need only two equipments, um, the headgear and the shoes. Headgear is really optional. If you don't want, um, they're called cauliflower ears, and they're sort of ugly ears. Um, if you don't want that, you need to have the, uh, the, the headgear. But shoes are important. They're indispensable because the whole thing revolves around pushing and shoving. If you don't have a good grip, you will never be able to win. And Roman shoes were designed to give you good grip. They needed to be light, that they could travel fast, but they also needed to give that good grip. And scholars tell us that Roman uh, soldiers wore shoes that were leather half boots like this, tied with straps at the ankle, and the soles were thick leather and had hollow hobnails like that, like those. These cleats that gave you a good and firm grip on the soil. It's one of the most important equipment if the objective is to stand firm, not be able to, not, not be pushed uh, out of our positions. But then what does it mean? What does it mean that we are to put on the shoes of the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, right? Shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Well, I think that readiness means that sure-footedness to face any challenge that Satan or the world might bring, that peace in the gospel that will keep us firm. Let me tell you what I think this means. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer was the first archbishop of the Anglican Church. He wrote the Book of Common Prayer. But when the Catholic Queen Mary came into power, he was sentenced to death. And at, at that point, he actually recanted. He recanted his position. And later on, he took back his recantation. And when he was about to be burnt at the stake, he took his right hand and put it into the fire first, saying the hand that betrayed Christ ought to be burnt first. And then he assured himself that he will be with Christ. Where does that readiness to stand firm come from? From the gospel of peace. He knows that he has been made righteous in Christ Jesus, that he has peace with God. The gospel brought him peace. We talked about, oh, Sarah came uh, forward. Sarah was so firm when she was diagnosed with cancer. She had that readiness that came from the gospel of peace. She wasn't moved because she had peace with God. She said that the last, last, um, um, if she blinked for the last time here on earth, then the next sight that she will see, the moment that she opens her eyes, will be the face of her maker, Jesus Christ. She had the gospel of peace. She was at peace with God. She was able to face anything. And when you have that peace with God, 
um, you will have peace in all circumstances as well. When you are right with God, when you're made right with God and you realize that everything that you really want in life is actually given freely to you by Jesus Christ. All that the, your relationship, your recognition, your security and all of that is freely given to you in Christ, you'll be able to face anything. That's the gospel of peace. That's the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Bishop J.C. Ryle of Liverpool, 19th century, he wrote this. When is, one is assured of salvation, it enables him to feel that the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt, a paid debt. Great disease, a healed disease. A great work, a finished work. All other business, disease, debts, and work are then by comparison small. In this way, assurance makes him patient in tribulation, calm under bereavement, unmoved in sorrow, not afraid of evil tidings, in every condition content. For it gives him a fixedness of heart. It makes him always feel that he has something solid beneath his feet. We need that peace. When the spiritual bombs are going off all around us and the enemy is attacking us, when the danger seems so imminent, we need that peace in the gospel. You know the story really well, but I'm going to end with it. Um, the Horatius Bafford, the American lawyer who wrote the, the hymn, It Is Well. He was friends with Dwight Moody, uh, the famous American evangelist. He was known for his, 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 his faith. He was an elder in a Presbyterian church. But in 1871, as he lived in Chicago, in 1871, there was a big fire that wiped the entire city out. He lost everything that he had, all his fortunes. In 1873... He desired rest. He wanted to rest, and he wanted to actually join Dwight Moody in England um, on a, a, a revival uh, meeting. So he's scheduled to go to England, but uh, before he could get there, something came up, a business uh, came up, and so he sent his four children, four girls, and his wife on a ship expecting uh, to join in a few days. But on November 22nd, 1873, that ship sank. Only his wife survived. And I'm not saying that the sinking ship was a spiritual attack, but man, Satan must have had a field day with him using that, right? The spiritual attacks must have come, but Spafford dug his heel to the ground of the gospel, the gospel of peace. And it's said that what he wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. It is well as his ship was carrying him to the waters where his children drowned. He writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet and trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Gospel of peace. Friends, there is a spiritual battle raging all around us, but the battle has been won. We are ordered to stand firm wherever we are, to stand Buckle yourself with the belt of God's truth. Stand in Christ's righteousness. And when Satan buffets and trials come, dig your feet 
deeply into the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we are not alone, that Satan works, the prince of this world is roaring like a lion, prowling like a lion. But Lord, we thank you that we are not alone, that we have your spirit, that we have salvation in Christ, that you have won the victory, that we do not need to be helpless, that we can be mighty, we can be strong in your armor. Lord, help us not to be lost in the things that are going on. Help us to look to you. Help us to equip ourselves with the gospel. Help us to put on the full armor of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.